0: Discover new mind and body hacks to thrive as a human today. The Institute for Aliveness is here to teach you all the things you never learned in school. From talking poop, sex, childhood trauma, emotional intelligence, psychedelics, and of course, fasting and food. This is a podcast that changes lives. Join your host, Dr. Andrea Page, as she travels seven continents to find the most captivating, impactful humans for you.
1: This podcast I sit down and dive in deep with ex-Navy SEAL Bradley Hicks. We both found each other in New York City after having met on the play at Burning Man and Bradley shares about anything from death to his journey through psychedelics to sensory deprivation chambers to his interest in long-term fasting. Listen in for uh, a full-spectrum conversation on embodiment, the somatic awareness, vision quests and that sense of being challenged and training for something hard like special forces i really enjoy getting to know bradley and uh, it was yeah it was beautiful to share space and time and discussion and i think that this will be the start of yeah, more collaboration over time enjoy so bradley we've just met at the burn and then we're meeting here and funny enough in new york at the same time and um Your history is as a Navy SEAL. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And
0: um, Large part of it. Not all of it.
1: Right. (laughs) I want to hear the other part of it, perhaps, then. Okay. Um, But for listeners, especially people internationally, who might not know what a Navy SEAL is. Mm -hmm. um, And, I mean, how do you ever... As he throws his phone across the room, how do you ever, like, describe something that's so comprehensive and um inclusive and then like that is something outside of you as if like you know navy seal or special forces of any sort is a job but then like the effect that it had on the human that you are um and so something like that in in tune with your life story whatever feels like for you to introduce yourself
0: a lot of layers to that question. Yeah, I know. Later <laughs> on. I appreciate that you, you asked it that way because I think that's often like an overlooked um, component of conversation is like, you know, what did the impact of being a SEAL have on you as a human being while you were in, but more importantly during your transition out and how you like recalibrated life afterwards. Um but so I was I was in the Navy for eleven years and Um, I deployed five times, four times to combat zones. And I was like fully in it. Like it was, it was definitely, um, it consumed all my life, all my being. Um, I would wake up thinking about it. I would live it all day. I would go to sleep thinking about it, you know, and then, you know, went to Afghanistan for my first deployment and went to Iraq for my second deployment and Yemen for my fourth and Iraq again for my fifth. Mm. And just you know, you get kind of hooked in that. Um, it's a very primitive feeling, um, a very primitive kind of state of being to, to be in a war fighting community. And it's beautiful while you're in it because it is, it engages, you know, the most core primitive parts of your heart and your brain, you know, like, and you're doing it with people that are, you know, brothers and there's so much shared you know, belief and camaraderie and sacrifice for each other. So while you're while you're in it, there's a lot of you know inspiring beauty to it, but it's also dark. And you know, and it's kind of a, a weird. Um, there's a dichotomy today between like modern war. The war that we've been fighting since two thousand one was mostly political. It, it wasn't really about national security after the first few years. Um, And then once we were engaged, we just couldn't pull out because then it would actually have, you know, national security implications. So, you know, when you fight, when you're sending people to fight a very abstract, you know, mostly political war, kind of like Vietnam, and they come home and there's no really integration, like really comprehensive integration of that person who's, you know, seeing a whole new spectrum of life and how dark it can be and the dark side of human nature and, you know, the the risk of a combat zone and the risk of combat operations. Um, you know, when you come back, it it does something to you. It doesn't, doesn't destroy you. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't mold you in a way that can't be fixed. But there's, you know, the way the brain works, there's real neurochemical effects while you're in those zones and, and you know, neuropathways that are formed. And then when you come home and you don't really integrate you're not integrating thoughtfully comprehensively really like the, the DOD likes to think that they do integrate people but they don't you know that has an effect on you too and you do it over and over and over and over again um, you know you, you have you've put yourself and you put your mind and heart through experiences that that need attention when you get out and probably some reprogramming and deep introspection if you want to you know pivot and find a life that's more light and less dark Um, but that for me is you know I started to transition out Um, I came back from my last appointment to western Iraq uh, September of 2019 so only three years ago
2: Um,
0: but that's kind of where my journey began and I learned um, I learned transcendental meditation a month before my last appointment And it was maybe two or three months into that deployment where I had three months of twice a day discipline meditation practice. It was really the first time in my life that I was self-aware enough to detect any sort of dissonance. And I detected like heart and mind dissonance. And I, for the first time in my life, detected a heart-mind connection. And I realized I wasn't as happy as I wanted to be. And I realized I was angry. And I was like aggressive and carried a lot of hate and um, that was the first time I decided I was you know going to move on and change directions and then, oddly enough someone in my troop detected that I was going through some sort of transformation and he put Michael Pollan's book on my doorstep
1: <laughs> How to and for like your a mind? year I didn't know
0: Yeah, <laughs> for a year I didn't know who did it and I, I know who it is now he, he got out and he lives in like the woods in Washington, his wife and daughter and two dogs. And you know, he loves suicide men and he's so connected in nature and he's a great family man and just one of my favorite people ever. But I didn't know he did it for like a year, but I devoured that book when it was dropped on my doorstep with this little steel container I lived in. And I came back from that deployment and I began integrating um, a lot of the set and setting principles of you know, intentional use of plant medicine and sort of doing really long meditations under small doses of psilocybin and, and LSD, and really accelerated that that dive inward to explore that dissonance.
1: And what did that cadence look like when you say you were taking them
0: regularly? Um, not like regularly. I would say you know, maybe once a week. Once a week. Okay. Yeah, and it was very crude. Like I had a, a dear friend now named Marcus Capone who launched an organization called Vets. And they're very structured and professional and they have, you know, really strategic donors behind them and they have, you know, the best um Ibogaine facilitators in Mexico and really thorough integration processes after it's a really thought out amazing thing. That wasn't there when I was getting out. Mm-hmm. So I like crudely stumbled with doses and yeah. which was beautiful. I you know, had heavier experiences and I wasn't wanting them, which ended up being great. And You know, so that expiration of dissonance, I guess, is kind of what started um, my self-transcendence path. And, you know, through really disciplined meditation and, and, you know, opening up to plant medicine, and I started opening up a whole new part of my brain, and I started naturally gravitating towards... I started detecting, like, how much hate and aggression... Kind of consuming. And I had one really heavy kind of hero's experience where finally all like washed off. Mm-hmm. Like all of like this like thick veil of like hate, anger, aggression that like, you have to have to be in a warfighting community. Mm-hmm. Like you just have to. You can't like show up to work and talk about, you know, whatever sort of context of like combat operations, whether it's, you know, close quarters battle like room clearances or jumping into a target or, but like it's all geared towards getting somewhere to kill someone. Right. And if you're engaged in that conversation every day, you have to like to keep synchronization of, you know, your external and internal world. If your external world's all about killing people, then you have to run your internal mind to be in harmony with that. And I didn't realize the grip that had on me until I had like a really heavy experience. Um, I was actually in a sensory deprivation chamber.
2: Mm.
0: And um, that was the first time that all that darkness washed off. It was the first time I ever felt it. I felt myself without it covering me. I still have experiences where I've worked through it and I feel it come back. But um, thankfully, like I had it. I'm very aware of it. Um, And that's kind of what just blew open the lid for me to really pursue a whole new approach to life and to um, stop really thinking about what other people think and start really digging into my own authentic path, what really moves my heart, what really makes me excited what like you know like, you know, at some point I just literally got to a point where I just didn't give a fuck what anyone else thought about me Mm -hmm. and I didn't find that until I was probably 35 or Mm 6 you know and, and the, it's the most liberating thing ever <laughs> um, yeah I don't know if that's kind of a pivot from your original question oh
1: no it's perfect I mean I have one more question and then I want to I'm actually feeling like I want to talk a little bit about somatics um, and the embodiment part of it but where and how was your childhood
0: my childhood was in Dallas Texas okay like in a very true Texan yeah, <laughs> what did the socks say?
1: The University of Texas Medical School oh, there for okay, their sol- cool. you know they're doing a bunch of time um,
0: medicine, yeah, a yeah. bunch of
1: research yeah, for amazing. specific studies for veterans. Yeah, yeah, I'm really I'm proud just of them. meeting with Gabby and the team.
0: Amazing. Mm. So that's my alma mater. I went to okay. UT Austin. Okay, but I grew up in a you know a very structured and, and happy household, and I went to like a great school, one through twelve, and I was super, you know, lucky to have the child that I had. And mm-hmm. I, I grew up in abundance and, you know, a very successful, hardworking father and very loving mother and stepmother. And, you know, my siblings were all really supportive of each other. Um,
1: stepmother, what age? Did your parents divorce?
0: I think her and my dad married when I was like four or five. Okay. So I kind of, you know, my mom's always my mom, of course, but my stepmom came into my life right around, like, my first memories. So mm-hmm. I always kind of remember it I remember having a maternal figure both times obviously your biological mom is your biological mom there's nothing that could ever you felt you had
1: more rather than less and you were too young to experience a split yes
0: exactly Okay. yeah Um, but yeah I I grew up with a very conservative um, affluent type of community and I mean definitely a bubble but just beautiful happy supportive people and um Yeah, I went to UT Austin, and then I worked for a little bit before I got my contract to go through SEAL selection.
1: And what made you want to?
0: Um, there were kind of two driving forces. One was because I grew up in a very privileged upbringing, and I had a, throughout my childhood, my dad was a prominent, um, figure like the Dallas business circle and he owned two sports teams so we had a very you know this is pre-internet really so newspapers cover a lot of sports especially in Dallas we had the Cowboys and um so his our last name his name was mentioned a lot in the news and there was just that sort of like light on us attention Mm -hmm. really on him but you kind of feel that as a family
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and from as young as I can remember I developed some sort of like imposter syndrome where I could never tell, you know, if I got like a, you know, I was mostly a a B minus student because I put in the bare minimum effort or C plus student, Mm -hmm. you know, do enough just like to get grades or I wouldn't get grounded, (laughs) but I never felt energized by what we were being taught. Mm -hmm. You know, like I know what it feels like to get completely engaged by like, you know, engaging content and by inspiring people. And I'm like fully hooked and I'll make a hundred, you know, if I'm in that situation, but I just, traditional school just didn't do it for me mm-hmm. um anyways i even if i got if i had like a 90 when i was used to getting 80s i would wonder if that teacher was trying to like win good favor to maybe like get tickets to a game mm-hmm. some crazy narrative that would never be the case but that that's what i thought
1: precipitated manipulation from a young age huh? yeah the ability to perceive social dynamics
0: yeah mm. and i you know i grew up kind of competing in sports and kind of thinking that you had to you know compete and achieve and compete and achieve and factor that with this kind of like you know I didn't really know if people how they measured me for me as a person as like a developing man and I also didn't feel like I was a man and I wanted to find like the ultimate man school (laughs) I wanted to find the ultimate experience where it did not matter what your last name was what your skin color is like anything about you it's mm-hmm. all about what's in your heart Skill. just what's in yeah. your heart okay and you, you know, seal selection it's you know, 80 to 85% quit or don't make it and so I wanted to be put in a situation that was you know empirical where it's very binary you either yeah. can or you can't
2: yeah or you do um, or you don't yeah
0: or do or you don't and I was kind of expecting myself to fail because that imposter syndrome was so strong that I was like do I do I really have this thing in me that I think deserves to be followed which is Part and grit that I, I knew I end up having, or am I an imposter and I just, you know, there's not much there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of put myself in a position to see what I would be made of. So I think deep down, I wanted that experience. And then there's the other part where, you know, this is not, it's kind of a, nothing to feel proud of by any means, but like I had this primitive urge to want to experience warfare just kind of dark but you know call it like romanticizing you know films of like indigenous cultures or Vikings going to war you know part of that's probably how Hollywood portrayed it that I Mm. kind of ate it hook, line, and sinker but I wanted to experience that and I wanted to do it with a community that was like the SEAL teams so Mm.
1: and do you feel like that was fulfilled?
0: I do I you know, I I never imagined kind of what I would be pulled through, what I would experience, how I would fail, how I would grow, how I would form humility around all that. And I never could have imagined the impact it had on me. And, like, when I was getting out, some people asking me, like, why do you want to get out? Or, like, like, what was the, the biggest takeaway you had? Like, thinking, like, expecting something, like, I don't know, like, this is how you lead people, like, very, like, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like, yeah, and I was like, I was like, I don't think if someone came and offered me the, the largest check that's ever been written to a human being for however amount of money that is out in the world right now, I wouldn't trade my experience for that check. I wouldn't trade the perspective I have right now, like, through all the, you know, dark and light and, you know, stumbling and growing and losing and winning and losing friends and, like, I wouldn't trade any of it for any amount of money. And I feel like the perspective I've gained through my experiences is something that um, I've yet to really figure out how to grab it and move forward with it. Mm -hmm. It's it's starting to take shape in my life right now in some really cool ways. So it's taking a little bit of time. But, um, yeah, perspective. Mm -hmm. That's your question. Perspective is of the experience is something that um, I feel super grateful for Mm
1: -hmm. so the somatic piece that I was feeling called toward is um, like it's nothing that's foreign foreign to you the human body is such a huge part of our human experience because it is the vehicle that the spirit drives through life and the sense of um, being able to listen to it and read it um, dysregulation of the nervous system to like a shutdown or depression a hunching of the chest this kind of thing to that sense of just like feeling fucking amazing that yeah. sense of vitality um and i wonder if you if you have anything that comes to mind just out of the blue of somatic moments where you had a messaging of either like freezing of disembodiment where you weren't there. It's like, you know, it's like you were in a machine body. Or um, you felt something for the first time. or Like th- those sense of transformative moments. How, how would machine. you define
0: somatic messaging and by definition?
1: Just like, oh, I can't feel my left toe. like that, Like just... You receive the message that your body's giving yeah. from having ignored it. I mean, in any kind of combat situation or any kind of high training situation, there's so much override yeah. of the body.
0: I mean, I can think of a lot of different contexts or different situations mm. where um, I've, I've gone through so many experiences where I eclipsed what I thought my body could do,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like yeah. thousands of yeah, yeah. thousands of iterations, <laughs> and each one of those was some sort of like you know. Somatic messaging moment, Um, and every time was, and that's kind of the the brilliance behind how seal selection works, because they, by design, they want you to do that. So by the time that you're in a combat situation, your mental fortitude is superior to, you know, most likely anyone that you're around, and so I I think by design, I kind of got to that point, but. I, you know, now I have like extreme body awareness, and I'm extreme heart awareness. And you know, when I meditate, I I go through all my thoughts, and I go through all my feelings, and I realize I'm not my thoughts and feelings a lot of the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you know, now it's it can be um, like a somatic signal. Um, I don't know. For me, it's, it's it's just about staying in harmony with that, so that I can listen to those signals, listen to those messages, and it's they're they're daily. It's you know, mm. it's fast differently, or you know, pivot your exercise regimen, or sleep on a different schedule to get back closer to circadian. Like, and I I have a, I guess a high enough degree of awareness to listen to mm. all those
1: and priority and the luxury to be able to prioritize these things. Yes. Have you done any kind of de-armoring work?
0: What do you mean by that? Like
1: either, so it's a new, it's a new field. Um, I've trained in it for the past two years, but it's... Um, you can think of it from a rudimentary uh, anatomical perspective as, like, fascia release, mm-hmm. um, but... Like real de work is actually quite light, mm-hmm. and it understands that within the fascia and within the tissues in general, is memory is stored, yes. and often traumatic memory. It's
0: really funny you mentioned that.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I'm kind of newly a co-founder and and you know kind of ostensibly a CEO of a new platform that um, is centered around the most with all the body healers I had, you know, that the SEAL team to bring in, you know, physical mm-hmm. therapists, chiropractors. Medical doctors, pain management specialists, etc. The fifty to one hundred I've seen, by far the most like holistic, comprehensive, brilliant, trained, and differentiated in approach through you know fascia awareness and fascia as the third nervous system and stored trauma and every little like minutia of like the you know underneath the skin and how it ties to you know heart and mind connection. Um, He's in Venice Beach. His name's Brandon Taylor. And mm-hmm. he is the realest deal of anyone I've ever met. And so uh, two friends and I realized that. And we sent 20 people to see him. And he just changed all their lives. And we're like, we have to follow this. Like, this needs to be scaled to share with the world. And um, he has a technique called the fascia integrative technique. Or integrative technique. And it is all about dearmoring. I just never heard that term. Mm-hmm. But it's all about you know, understanding the the fashion network as the third member system and using, you know, light kind of, you know, vector pressure to, you know, manipulate it, but also understand your lifestyle and the process and what you know, what your routine is, what your childhood may may have been like and understanding all that and then this is where I get kinda lost, but you know, you studied and practiced in China for like six or seven years and was just integrated in the system where, you know, it was very eastern ancient philosophy and and application and it's just fully ingrained in how he understands everything beneath the skin and the heart-mind connection Mm. that correlates with that um so the first time i read d'armering was with him he saved me from getting knee surgery Mm. and he's also just like we speak i'm speaking to him tonight we have like a stand-up meeting um once a week
1: tell him i said
0: hi i will do you know him (laughs)
1: no
0: okay well i'd love to set you up
2: yeah
0: um so we're trying to get him to start training other people yeah. and get certain, like, degrees certification.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And a lot of pain management specialists and massage therapists and chiropractors and um, physical therapists will ultimately learn his technique mm-hmm. and, you know, to certain degrees get closer to where he is. Mm-hmm. And the idea is just to get this technique and message out there to as many people as possible because it, you know, you think your physical functionality isn't correlated to your emotional experience then i just recently learned that so there's nothing wrong with that but i highly <laughs> encourage everyone to look into it yeah you know and and it's a bit metaphysical
2: mm.
0: but time, but time, is time, it
2: because
1: it's actually very physical
0: <laughs> so of the 20 people that i've sent there to yeah. see him
2: yeah
0: 20 out of 20 have been completely changed by it
2: mm-hmm
0: like show me another healer that has that sort of success. Mm-hmm. There's probably other fascia healers that are similar, but like the, the technique of fascia integration, understanding the fascia system and the heart-mind connection, like I'm sure there's a lot of other Brandon's out there, but. Um,
1: that's a lot about tissue memory. Someone who's able to tap into that memory and hold space for the memory is unfolding. Yeah. Is, like, mm-hmm. That's the key. Yeah. Um, deomering is, it's the newest field of bodywork. Um, it's totally unregulated, doesn't have any structure, theory behind it.
0: And insurers don't pay for it yet. Like what's coming? I that mean, or.
1: that's not even that's not even a question. We're like, if you think of it's like a new type of massage that's coming right. up, and it's not it's not massage. And there's such massive variety within the practitioners who call themselves ring practitioners.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, a lot of it kind of stemmed also from tantra. Um there's intervaginal, interanal, throat dearmoring. Wow. Um Breast dearmoring. There's so there's like sexual dearmoring. Amazing. Um, but
0: are, the, are those specific for people that have experienced sexual trauma? Does that help them? Kind anyone, of?
1: anyone. Anyone. The a cool. number of times that a woman's let a man enter her before she was ready.
2: Mm.
1: That's trauma, and yeah. it's lowercase t trauma, but yeah. it's trauma. Trauma. Yeah. And the tissue remembers it, and mm. so the the need for reprogramming is. And reprogramming isn't even the word, the need for listening to what's there and allowing the tissues to express so that they're not constantly in contraction. Right. Um, and then body dearmoring, like somatic dearmoring is it stems from um, Wilhelm Reich's work. Yeah. Reich was one of Freud's main students, and so this is very that kind of body shape typing based on some personality or character structure. Um, and there's five main types. There's the first, which is trauma that happened at infancy, um,
0: which everyone experiences, probably like being born to into a, like a certain degree bright room and pulled out, and then
2: yeah, totally. getting
0: your the tip of your dick cut off if you're yeah, like, come on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I, totally. That's it's an interesting case to make. Now, I mean, I wonder how circumcision would play into. I've, I've had this writing. fascination with this
0: recently. <laughs> like I, I, I ask people to do it. And there's nothing wrong with it because I, you know, my own father couldn't give you an answer other than like the doctor recommended it. But, uh-huh. like, it's just it's it's mimetic behavior. Like you just kind of repeat what was done before you and what's done around you. Mm-hmm. But you really ask someone who does circumcision for like a really comprehensive answer, and there's really not one. Like,
1: well, I mean, it comes from it comes from sanitation. Ju- what well, j- Judeo judeo-islamic origin um as like a sacrifice it's a sacrifice for god yeah yeah i I
0: figured it was just like a sanitary thing that mm -mm. then the judeo-christian kind of you know power structure ultimately kind of expected as a practice so i didn't realize it was a sacrifice yeah
1: the old testament says when abraham was 99 years old he circumcised himself wow for his dedication to okay, God. Well, that's so. even
0: worse right. as far as inflicting trauma.
1: Well, I mean, it also re. Well, if you think of it in a Navy, Navy Seal context of like, what sacrifice are you willing to make? Like, right. how much are you dedicated to this?
0: So you can't. I mean, it's just it's it's kind of using a little crazy. It's just not fair to force a baby to sacrifice himself or herself.
1: That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. So I mean, the Judeo-Christian ethos came into the American hospital system and. Uh, normalized circumcision for mm-hmm. sure yeah. um, and so it was kind of this don't think twice sanitation Yeah. Um. there has been a lot of backlash over the past five years I'd day and I, so. I think that we won't see it very much in the future
0: I want to be a part of that movement to like get rid of it Like as of right now just he's yeah. <laughs> making think- <laughs> this, this this claim <laughs> I started like asking people around me like my brothers and like other friends but like I also I've noticed that there's there's social pressure around it mm-hmm. they don't want I'm not saying my brothers I'm saying other people I've talked to anonymously have um, said that they kind of don't want their kids to feel isolated or a- alienated.
1: By you not know? being circumcised? Yeah,
0: if, when you're like in fourth grade or high school in the shower. It's
1: you- so interesting. Europe is such a different world. Asia is such yep, a different so, world. Yeah. No one is, I mean, not no one's circumcised, but it's very rare. It's, yeah. it's much rarer. It's a, it's a
0: reflection of tribalism for sure. Like, you, you want to be accepted by the pack. and
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much tribalism in the United States. <laughs> yes. Um... Yeah, I. Yeah, I. This is just a fun fact. on Tribalism in the U.S. context. I was just at. I was visiting a, an old professor of mine, and I went in to audit one of his classes, and he was teaching from a book um, called Lawn People. And lawn
0: or law? And? Lawn L A W N, like okay. grass people. Yeah.
1: And the main thesis of the book is higher educated, um, better off, usually women are more likely to use toxic chemicals on their lawns even though they know it's bad for the environment bad for their kids and bad for their pets
0: and there's so much underneath that why if you're, if you're
1: it's a communal uh, belonging thing my kind of lawn my lawn looks nice for my
0: neighbors I've always recently have been infatuated with why you know why people have the the kind of traditional lawn setting it's, mm-hmm. you put chemicals on them and it takes a lot of water it's not natural like mm-hmm. There's nothing more beautiful than a natural landscape around a house. Mm. Like, of you know, like food. Of food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Growing own vegetables Grow and fruit. Can. Moms, yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's interesting.
1: So you, I, I love your point about circumcision and the first personality type, but the five Reichian character structures, because I think this will put it back in the somatic context, the first one's leaving, so it's normally a slender type, kind of uneven, more weight on one foot, stands like that. And the message that was told at infancy was, I'm not safe here. Mm. And so the energy runs up and out. Mm. The second uh, character structure is merging. This is people who stand with their hips jutted forward and kind of slouch over. Mm -hmm. And their energy runs back and forth from another person. And so Mm. the the story that they tell themselves is, I need someone else for Mm. me to be able to do it. It's this dependency thing. The third is the masochist. This is like a wide body. It's like the whole country of Scotland. And the story that that person tells is I just have to keep going. Life is hard, right? And so the trauma for uh, merging was like, you know, one, two. For the masochist, it's like two, three, maybe four. And then the psychopath, as it's clinically called, or the aggressor, which is like the warrior, Mm -hmm. is type four. It's also the one I am. Everyone has a primary pattern. It's um, more of like a bodybuilder, kind Mm. of strong, good muscular structure. That that kind of body structure and um, the energy runs out, down and up and back into the body. So it's like this self-sourced thing. And the the trauma happened four or five or six or so. And um, the main pattern thought was, I have to do it all on my own. No one's coming to save me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And then the fifth is the rigid which is someone who stands you know with a really tight jaw and like really clenched everything yeah. um, and the rigid trauma happened at six or seven and it was about not being able to believe their inner their inner voice and that mm. they have to listen to some external authority mm. um, yeah interesting and so When we look at psychosomatics, which is a huge part of what my institute does, um, our entire second month of mind is uh, trauma and psychosomatics, Mm -hmm. right before the third month of mind, which is psyche and psychedelics, but um, understanding the psychosoma, right, which you might call the mind-heart connection, but it's really the extent of the tissues, like the brain extends through the entire nervous system and, and speaks through tissue, Mm-hmm. Innervation. Mm-hmm. and um so the
0: by the way that's amazing that you're you're teaching that mm. that, that is just yeah. so important and profound i'm, yeah. I'm so curious
1: yeah no you'd love the institute i'll send you the curriculum yeah. um i mean we're we're pioneering two main things one is um applied epigenetics which is what mm. the masters is in beautiful right so this lifestyle piece about circadian rhythms or about giving yourself time to unravel or whatever it might be Mm -hmm. and then the second is um embodied non-duality and that's actually the graduation requirement
0: embodied non-duality
1: so non-duality or advaita vedanta is the state that you get to in transcendental meditation when you're sitting there and there's a disillusion of everything and there is no good or bad
2: Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or right or wrong There just is. There just is. Yeah. Right. It's peace. I like to call it, mm-hmm. and so that's non-duality. And then, mm-hmm. well, we see a lot.
0: embody meaning like you're literally at a, at a, point where you're projecting because you're, truly feeling, that non-duality. So you're embodying it, and so you're, you're a walking Buddha.
1: I mean, walking Buddha is like Close a bit the. of a, a cliche, but like there's this no, sense I of
0: think it's, cliche. I think it's it's, it's, yeah. it's an aspiration. <laughs> An amazing
1: aspiration. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of any walking buddhas who are not three months old, <laughs> ten the, months old. The Dalai
0: Lama. Yeah. I'm going to meet in two weeks.
1: Oh yeah, super. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. You're going to India. Yeah. Yeah. For some. Okay.
0: Yeah, okay. and we have a, there's a small group of us um, that get a private audience with them and get yeah. to ask questions. Yeah, you're
1: Rob. Is that? There's yes. my friends going there. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah nice. Yeah.
0: Okay. yeah. So that's the graduation for your institute is to get to the non-duality embodiment
1: Mm -hmm. yeah um it's essentially this state where you're okay with everything and so it's funny actually i ran um i ran a retreat last year for the students in in person in romania in the countryside like deep countryside unexplored wilderness which eastern europe and central asia specifically is a really interesting part of the world for me because it's the least developed the least architected manufactured Part of the world, there was very little industry there. There was, you know, there's mm-hmm. not really a huge colonial history, although, of course, the empires of Genghis Khan and whatever swept to some extent. But it's this this part of the world that's hyper unique in that you still have wildflowers that are of origin, or you still have native fruits growing wild, things like this. Um. Anyway, so part of the in-person retreat for our institute and for the master's program is, um. Uh, A vision quest, effectively like a hero's journey kind of thing where Mm. they're sent out on their own into literally uncharted territory with nothing other than a compass.
0: Mm. And they have to be in
1: silence the whole time. For how long? For a full day. Okay. Sunrise to sunset kind of thing. As
0: long as it takes.
1: Yeah. And I have to like sit there and really trust they're gonna come back.
0: It's you for. I mean, that that is such a transformational experience for someone, and most people just wouldn't want to take that risk on because they haven't explored it. Yeah. they've not been close to the edge yeah. enough individually to feel comfortable to guide others. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate your your vision and leadership to do that for people. Like, yeah, like,
1: well, you yeah. know, give it all away, like give it up. It's like it's if something's meant to happen here, it'll that, happen. That is <laughs> the
0: embodiment <laughs> of yeah. yeah. you Be able to let go of everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so, that's where
0: you really make impact.
1: Yeah, and it was super transformative. Like some people in that group had never been hiking before, and everyone had their own massively, you know, shifting experience because it's it's coming back to that sense of taking agency and sovereignty inside, and that's the same process that I take people through in long term fasting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that's kind of what I'm known for in my specialty, but awesome. that sense of Recouping the reliance that you've given away, or the addiction to food or the emotional eating or whatever it is.
0: Realizing that we have addictions to food. Most, I feel like food, especially sugary foods, are the most abused, psychoactive
2: mm-hmm.
0: substance. Mm-hmm. You know
2: mm-hmm.
0: But that's, that's great. you bring awareness to it. I've, I've been fasting for four years now, and mm. like I for sure know. So I do 16, 18 hours, five days a week and 24 hours, probably twice a week.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I'd like to pick your brain because I just found this on my own. I read a David Sinclair book four or five years ago mm. from Harvard that mm-hmm. because he's the epigenetics biohacking wizard. But I know for me, like my most physically cognitively optimized state is when I'm into like a twenty four hour fast. Yeah. Like I can tell my my own like evolutionary roots were probably carrying you know, a spirit source and walking a long distance with some nuts, or, like dried meat in like a satchel. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, eating what you carry for a few days because mm-hmm. I'm most alert and most energetic yeah. and just clear thinking mm-hmm. when I'm in that fast state. And it's wild that I just never even knew about it until I was mm-hmm. 30. Wait till we
1: get you to day six or something.
0: <laughs> I'd, I'd love to try that. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. You're welcome. We run monthly fasts. And in time. person? as my guest. Another they're
0: virtual. Okay. So we actually have one starting Friday. Really?
1: Yeah, people from all over the world in their homes doing their thing. I mean, I ran in person fasts um, in Bali and Sri Lanka and all over the world for years, and um, it's that sense of the idyllic retreat setting where people. Yeah, when people are in an idyllic setting for this kind of fasting retreat, there's a reliance. That's built in and, and true transformation can't happen in that sense of reliance. You can have new experience and you can have things that might change your life, but you won't have an inner personal transformation. You have to be responsible for you if you're gonna have a tremendously personal, transformative experience. And so yeah, yeah so we started running them online five and a half years ago and um, the virtual thing really works because it empowers people. You're making the change in your home. You're going through all your obstacles. It's just, yeah, a lot more efficacious. That's
0: probably like a a preferred way to do it because Mm -hmm. if you did it in person and you went back to your home space where you spend Mm -hmm. most of your time where you have most of your routines, you most likely fall back to routine. Yeah.
1: And that's what happened totally for a lot of people. So, yeah. So fasting. Mm -hmm.
0: For people that do fast out of curiosity that do that course, how many... um, how many go back to whatever routine they had before versus sticking with your prescribed regimen?
1: Oh, we don't have that close of data to see, and and nor would people report honestly. I think, okay. but I know that it does. It we have a full spectrum. So I have people who have changed their lifestyle completely, come back six months later, and they look like a completely different person. Like oh. it really was that turn point in their life. Um, there are people who come; they feel the goodness, and then I think it's an underlying psychological thing where they go back to their old ha- habits and patterns because it's a form of self-hatred, um, and not this isn't conscious self-hatred. This is subconscious self-hatred. Right. It's it's not their fault. They're not trying to hate themselves. It's just yeah. a matter of abuse.
0: It's like the the perfect like lifestyle context I can think of is someone who's happy and has a job that they're content with and, and, you know, personal life they're content with, but they come home and and have ice cream every night. Very innocuous by nature, like nothing wrong with that. Like, Mm it's probably not the healthiest long-term thing, but there is a subconscious desire to numb yourself in that moment Mm -hmm. um, through probably some degree of self-hatred for stored trauma or resentment of self for something you did 10, 20, 30, two years ago, whatever, like... Yeah. And just having that momentary numbness from that subconscious thing that still speaks to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a tremendous amount of dopamine that fires in the brain when you have that concentration of calories. Um... Yeah, not to mention the effects of milk having, uh, like, a, a lactate coma, where yeah. you're just, like, yeah. like n- I mean, numb, I mean, is, is kind of a word, you're, you're spaced out in a way.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's coming from someone that, that loves ice cream and <laughs> does that all the time. I think that, to me, like, that is, that is the, one of the, like, seminal, like, pinnacle life goals is to get to that embodiment of non-duality to understand all the subconscious cues that distract you from being just your pure light loving self and understanding with granularity all those deeply subconscious things that are whether they're traumatic or mutual experiences or memories which still shape your conscious state and having that that depth of awareness of subconscious mm-hmm. um, limbic system you know, brain memories mm-hmm. to your conscious existence. that's mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the most ideal pursuits in life, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, so that's that is essentially what the script is at the institute. That's what we aim to do. And what we've found is that there's not an endpoint, right? There is no pinnacle that it is this constant effervescent journey where it gets richer and there are days where you know you choose to eat ice cream because you're choosing but you're conscious of having that experience you're conscious right. of the repercussions right? right it's a conscious choice rather exactly. than something that's you know again in the unconscious and kind of taking its hold on you yeah
0: and yeah. if yeah that's and if if people can can have that that practice of consciousness in their lives or when you're eating meat to be conscious of where the meat comes from. To you know, deeply recognize in that present moment that that meat came from an animal that you know died and had its own life and trauma and like it's now on its way to you. Like the more you're aware of it, just you know, maybe one of the byproducts is we have more regenerative you know meat harvesting processes that are more ethical and um, less harmful on the planet. And you know, and if people are conscious of that. You know, ice cream numbing, then they're probably going to have some sort of practice where they're understanding what makes them feel agitated or stressed in their daily life that can cause them to project that out to their loved ones or coworkers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, it, you know, there's just those ripple effects of that self awareness yeah. and that, you know, subconscious triggers that as you address them and become aware of them, not address them, you can't address them, become aware of them, the, the ripple effect. Potential is vast and amazing. Which mm-hmm. is why I have so much faith in humans.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we're gonna let's roll with it. Let's roll with it. Okay. There's some there's some background noise that I hope you're gonna enjoy. We can we we have a joke in yoga teacher training school, which is owned to the sound of the chainsaw.
2: I <laughs> <laughs> we'll love it.
1: It's like that sense of it doesn't matter what or where. It's like we're here. Yeah. And it is. I, I, I dated a Marine for a period of time, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, and um, I actually had him come to one of my yoga teacher trainings um, because he was in the area, and I, I had him give a lecture on death or more of like a question and answer kind of thing. And he had also gone through psychedelic healing experiences um, after his, his time of service. And um, I had asked him a series of questions that the students got to kind of sit in captive on. And I remember the kind of end of the lecture, the sharing or interview or whatever it was, was I asked him what he experienced when he looked down the gun barrel right before he was about to kill someone. And he, it was, I think it was just like an overflow, it was flooding, it was too much for him. And he couldn't share at that moment because there was like a disillusion between who he was on the battlefield and who he's presenting as today. And the personality couldn't reconcile.
0: Mm.
1: And... Do you have any insight on that like that that whole situation what might have been happening for him if you were asked the same thing?
0: I think you I think you just picked it it's just kind of it's detachment from self in that moment you know and then the brain probably has its own um, protection mechanisms to kind of obfuscate it and cloud that moment
2: mm-hmm.
0: so I imagine there's probably a really sound um, neurochemical physiological explanation response yeah yeah but
1: but on the emotional psychosomatic or the self-processing level like
0: i think that's that's the beauty of plant medicine journey is you get to and everyone everyone's own unique way of going through that transformation going from you know combat experiences and memories to you know plant medicine ceremony is you process your journey and your experience in your own way. And um, I actually, I don't have enough, like, I have the anecdotal doubt of everyone that has gone through it 100% have been um, transformed, healed to a great degree or completely mm. um, for the most part. You know, there's anomalies here and there, but there's deeper issues, um, kind of more like on the schizophrenic side. Um, but, you know, I would like to hear Everyone's own personal take on that sort of um, that sort of individual memory and experience, but um, I think it's ultimately about getting to a point where you just forgive yourself for whatever you're holding yourself onto. I just think everyone has their own process of forgiveness for whatever it is, and it can be that moment where you know you were looking down the barrel of a gun and knowing, you know, if life was taken, how how do you reckon with that? And how do you move forward in life and not let it consume you and and acknowledge it? I think for a lot of people, they probably, without plant medicine, like any trauma, it probably just gets stored within you and shows its head in a really ugly way that doesn't serve you, i.e., you know, self-numbing with aggression or agitation, anger or alcohol Mm. or food Um, but by deeply processing and feeling memories which is the beauty of plant medicine it just does things that our conscious brains really if you're fasting for six days you can i guess but for the most part you can't quickly access in an efficient manner in a deep manner and everyone's journey of experiencing their past and realizing that it doesn't have to dictate their future and to realize what no longer serves you that you experience that you hold guilt over your own head for or whatever the context is. If it was if it was killing people in war, if it was you know, if you're a, a former police officer and you've arrested a lot of people and probably used violence in the mm-hmm. process and kind of non judiciously mm-hmm. you're going to carry around a lot of baggage too or we know whatever, like every story is unique, but um, I think it's it's just my greatest wish in life that I could think of is that everyone has the ability to go through an experience um, where you're able to address memories and feelings that hold you back. And you know, most people don't think they have them, but they do, right? There's a spectrum of trauma and everyone has things that they've experienced that very much subconsciously dictate their conscious state. So my goal is that, or vision, or dream, is that people can get to a place where they're aware of it, and, um, you know, the third one of my businesses I focus on is the sensory deprivation chamber business, and we're like the premier sensory deprivation chamber manufacturer. And I just want to make them physically and economically accessible to everyone. That's my goal. So just get them across the world in a way that everyone can afford them. Because I think that is such a such an important tool to get to that deep self awareness. You know, it's not everyone wants to go do, you know, you know a suicide journey or ayahuasca journey or whatever. I kind of naturally gravitate towards plant medicine because I'm so passionate about it. Mm.
1: And do you find that sensory deprivation has given you altered states?
0: It has for me a couple times. Um, but I think, I think realistically and, and what I think is also empirical is that in that sensory deprived environment, everyone's different. You, you can either just purge out your mental inbox and go through what you're thinking about that you need to do for work or your personal life that day or that week or that year. And then when you get through that and you just start being still with nothing. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And you're just the most hyper self aware you've ever been because you can't feel gravity, you can't see or hear anything. So you're completely separated from your body, mind out of body. And then you just kinda watch your thoughts and watch your feelings and observe them. And everyone kinda has their own way of doing that and processing it. But you get to the point where you realize you're not your thoughts. You're not your feelings. You don't have to react to them, and I think that is, you know, something that I'm very passionate about, you know, facilitating to the world. And maybe some people go in and have a full vision quest. Um, I've never have had anything that like wild, but I've you know I've gone in on a little bit of cannabis. I've gone in on another um, psychoactive. Um, and those are amazing variations of the experience, but you don't need that. You can just go in on a fast, or you can even go in like an hour after you eat, and you'll still have a really you know transformational experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean long-term fasting. So getting past three days, like that, is an altered state of consciousness.
0: I would love to float on a three-day yeah, fast.
2: Yeah,
1: I mean anything. Like people who can't do handstands normally, they'll they'll do a handstand on the fast, and they're balancing perfectly because there's just so, such somatic harmony. Wow, but. It's, it's interesting hearing you talk because, hey, I'm the yoga teacher who for years said you're not your body.
2: Right?
1: Notice an awareness lifting away from your body. You are not this body. Right? And so that identification with the ephemeral, the eternal or something beyond spirit, whatever you want to call it, is something that I always, um, you know, was a walking poster child for and and iterated and reiterated and yet over the past three years or so four years maybe it's really been an involution journey where rather than evolution upward right involution of actually coming home Mm. coming back to this body that i've abandoned in order to achieve so much in life Mm. i've abandoned in order to master you know triathlons or other physical or mental things and um the somatic journey of of like really feeling is beyond the mind the mind perceives but it's only the body that can actually originate and so it's such a dichotomy and hearing you speak i'm wondering if that is those are the polar ends of of the spectrum where it's like you're not your body you're not any of this and you are fully here in flesh and yeah. like feel it all yeah and that within knowing or experiencing the entirety of that duality that's how we get to the non-duality of mm. both both are true because
0: they're so disparate in, yeah.
1: in nature
2: mm.
0: yeah beautifully said mm. I like and that the the journey toward involution and yeah. coming back to body and taking all of your your out of self exploration and growth and
1: and thinking it's someone else outside of you is the problem or this system is bad or whatever it's yeah. all it's all an inside job yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, final question. Um, What is death to you in light of, you know, a death-filled past, in light of killing, having killed, being around death, in light of this spiritual discussion and perhaps reincarnation and this understanding of you're not your body?
0: I think... I'm gonna answer that in two ways. I think I think being very honest with yourself and and knowing your own uh, mortality is so important and knowing that we're all gonna die is so important. Um, it's a way of kinda of reducing self, reducing stress, being more present and you know, a lot of people kind of say it but to really make peace with it
2: yeah.
0: is so important and so you know I've gone through a lot of iterations of making deep peace with mortality you know just from training and and, you know all the stuff we would do you know jumping out of planes underwater helicopters and then you know in combat situations like you know that kind of ties to the perspective I have now that I wouldn't trade for anything it's Mm -hmm. that deep peace with uh mortality, but I also, separately, like, I've gone through my own cycle. I was raised in, like, a Christian um, community and, you know, was sent to church without even knowing, without having the ability to understand what religion was and what the Bible taught, but so I kind of, like, you know, was conditioned to do that, and then I kind of became an atheist in college and I was in the military just because I sort of critically think about what I was taught about Christianity and, which is very different than what Christ taught, right? Mm. But you know, and then since I've kind of gone on my path of um, transformation, I've I've opened up to you know. I think it's very possible that your soul lingers or or goes to different dimension and, and reincarnates, and um. So f- to me, factor and like deep peace with mortality and kind of a new opening to you know a very um, metaphysical and, and probably woo-woo to a lot of people concept of reincarnation and whatever sort of form that you can interpret. Um, I just, I think death is just, it can be a beautiful thing. You know, like, I think you know, you're your legacy will always linger how you treat people will always linger um, and if you believe in reincarnation your soul will come back and reinvent itself or or improve upon itself from its last iteration and um, yeah I don't know I, I think death and taxes so I think um
1: for anyone who's not familiar with that American phrase, those are the only two things that
0: are guaranteed in life. <laughs> yeah. I think thinking about it every day helps. Not, like, not overdwelling on mm. death and your own death, but just, you know, in your own, whether you're painting or or um, gardening or meditating with your eyes closed upright in a TM pose or, or taking a walk with a dog or whatever, like, however you create stillness to think through your thoughts, like, I think having a deliberate... Kind of mantra or just intentional thought once per day that I am a mortal being and I want to make the most out of my life I want to be the most authentic version of myself in this life I want to spread the most love and light in this life I want to have the most positive impact in this life because I'm a mortal being
2: mm-hmm.
0: I think that's you know an invaluable practice <clears throat> I think sadly a lot of people go through life and they don't really do that and they get to the end and that's the reckoning and you know, you hear it over and over again people that are 85 and sharing the moments with family or hospice caretakers say I just wish I would have maybe, you know, been a little bit goofier been more like myself that goofy (laughs) version of myself that I've never really felt comfortable expressing I suppressed Mm -hmm. it or spent more time with my loved ones instead of obsessing over, you know of course you have to work and you have to pay the bills and have purpose but like you know you can't let it consume you to the point where you miss out on life Mm -hmm. and that's everyone's internal journey to get there and I think starting with mortality and reverse engineering your life from there it's a great daily practice that um, that I I do Mm -hmm. reverse engineering from
2: mortality
1: anything else you want
0: to say yeah I, I appreciate the time and I'm excited to um, dive into prolonged fasting Mm -hmm. and learn more about your institute and the Mm -hmm. curriculum. Thank you. Yeah, thank
2: you.
1: Bye, everybody. So how was it? Did you like it? Thank you so much for listening and joining us for season seven of the Vitality Podcast with the Institute for Aliveness. It is my great pleasure to share these conversations and reflections and my lectures from all over the world with you in the comfort of your own home or on your jogging path or on your way to the grocery store, wherever you might be right now. At the Institute for Aliveness, we are here to hold higher standards for humanity, to kind of cast a light upon the path to evolution, personal evolution that involves much more than just the body or the mind, but really the cohesive, holistic nature, the robustness of who and how we are showing up as a human today, and where our personal inventory of our past and what's made us the way we are from a neurological, neurobiological level to a physical level. And to take agency for that and decide how we want to drive and where we want to drive in the future. And so there's no, like to, no day like today to fully embrace and take into account the agency for you and the life that you're living. It may be a beautiful one. We're sending you so much love here from TIFA headquarters and we hope that you'll come and join us for a short course soon.
0: I was listening to that for you. If you learned from or moved by the episode, pay it forward. Go to Apple now and leave a five-star review so others can benefit. Join the Institute for Aliveness for a one-week transformational fasting experience. Consider getting an astrology reading from Andy or enroll in the one-year health coach certification course. Whatever you do, don't let this learning pass you by. Do something now to impact your lifestyle for
2: good.